You might be thinking, wow, this is really breaking from form. Are you telling me Layla's favorite character isn't Hilo? Are you telling me it's not the shit heel? And the answer is yes, it's not the shit heel. Because you know what Trump's shit healiness is dad. Lon functions as a dad. And <laughs> a, I... s- a sad, mopey dad. <laughs> Just the saddest father. And I love him very much for that. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a fist. And this week, we talk about Fonda <laughs> Lee's 2017 fantasy gangster novel, Jade City. Before we strap on our moon blades and come down from the mountain, remember you can help us on Mortified, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. Layla. How have you been? Bad. How are you been? How are also you been? bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you all faithful listeners will note that we missed last week. Um, that was because our government almost got overthrown by white supremacists <laughs> and we felt sad about it. Yeah, we weren't doing great and arguably so still are working towards greatness. Yeah, I mean, listen, I usually, it usually takes me about, you know, 12 hours to get this show up, so hopefully by Tuesday, January 19th, um, our government is still intact. Um, and we'll see. can brace itself for Wednesday, January 20th. Yeah, that's that's the real one, so hopefully this podcast doesn't age poorly, but... Um, that is uh, the the reason we didn't have an episode last week. Um, you know, I would say that we're sorry, but I'm really not. Uh, there is no way we're going to put out an episode after uh, the mental state that uh, I was in, certainly. So Yeah, honestly, we would probably be more entertaining if we put out the very sad, low-energy Akira episode we have in the bank <laughs> than if we had recorded that day. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, if you DM me, if you Venmo me $100, I will send you the Akira Um audio it'll it'll be a really bad use of your money so don't do that um but we are hopefully going to have a high energy conversation about one of my favorite series that i've i'm so glad i finally forced somebody to read um (laughs) i i have been talking about this this series ever since i read it in like early 2018 um layla what can you go ahead and really quickly sum up what you what you read in jade city Sure. Okay. So Jade City is uh, uh, written by Fonda Lee, and it is a uh, wide-spanning crime saga about two mafia-adjacent, mafia-esque clans um, in a a place colloquially referred to as as Jade City. Is it John Loon is the actual name of it? John Loon, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, it's it's No Peak Clan and Mountain Clan. They used to be one thing, and now they're not one thing anymore. And it's a book about escalating tensions on both sides until they erupt into a violent conflict. A Jade War, if you will, which is the name of the sequel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I mean, that, that basically sums it up. It's if The Godfather was way cooler and was all Asian people with magic powers. Um I think it slaps. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of fun to be had just exploring like uh, 
uh, we're, we're, we'll talk about it, but Fonda Lee, I think, does some of the best world building in literature. I think she has such a unique way of deploying her, her characters and using them as lenses with which to view the world. Um, and she, she created this, I listened to this interview that she did, uh, last week, um, where she was talking about how she, she didn't want to create like, a like, a like set John Loon in a specific like analog. Like it's not Hong Kong. It's not Shanghai. It's just like fantasy generic East Asia. Um, and, but like, it is also impacted by fantasy colonial powers and i think it's such a neat idea to incorporate you know myths of the of, of the mafia of course but also the yakuza um and like all these organized crime families and you know put them in a story about like you know a formalized system of crime that is, operates alongside the government and is in many ways more powerful than the government um and well, this we're we're getting pretty ahead of it. I'm I'm getting ahead of everything, but like this is all very high minded stuff. But she grounds it in these characters, which I think are very interesting and fun. And um, why don't we just start there, Layla? Do you have a favorite character? Yes, Wen and Lon. Okay. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Excellent choices. Um, can you tell us? Tell us about. Let's start with Lon, and then you can explain Wen. Okay, Lon. Is great. I love. Okay, so dear listeners, if you've read if you've read this book, you might be thinking, "Wow, this is really breaking from form." Are you telling me Layla's favorite character isn't Hilo? Are you telling me it's not the shit heel? And the answer is yes. It's not the shit heel, because you know what trumps shit healiness is dad. Lon functions as a dad, and a I s- <laughs> a sad mopey dad. Just the saddest father, and I love him very much for that. No, Lon is great. He is a, he's very um, reserved and, and calculating, but in a fun way. I really liked being in his head for that part of, like, the narration. And, like, genuinely, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Turn your, skip 15 seconds now if you don't want to know. When he died, I was genuinely sad. Like, I, I was sad. Not only because, I think, I think you were right about the, the world building, but also the character building is so good because... Lon doesn't die because Lon was assassinated. Lon dies because he thought too hard. Mm-hmm. And he missed a step. Yep. And died on accident, which was tragic. Um, but I, I really liked him. I, 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 he was like missed. Like I missed him. And it was, it was something to see how much the void of him was felt in both the organization and in the family. Um, and then when I loved when since the first fucking minute she was introduced, because that bitch's boyfriend snuck into a window, like pretended to try to kidnap, not fully, but you know, tried to spook her for a second. Yeah. They both thought it was funny. So it was fine. But like, she got boned and then immediately was giving him business advice and it was like good business advice. And she was like, I'm not going anywhere near your goddamn house unless you put a ring on it. Excuse me. Hi. Hello. (laughs) And uh, he did put a ring on it. And then she went to the house and within three weeks she had remodeled it and then gotten his, uh, her sister-in-law to like give her this badass secret job. I was like, yes, we love a shrewd woman. We love a power player. She's great. I am terrified for her. I don't think she's going to survive the next book, but I love her. Yep, Jade War 
in perils when. So, yeah, you know, you'll look forward to that. But we should explain the magic system real quick. So the reason that it's a fantasy is because there's Jade, like, you know, Jade, the, the gem. So in this world, Jade is magic and it basically gives you superpowers. Like you can move really fast and you can create like energy fields and you can, um, you know, stop people's hearts. Um, but Jade is like, it's sort of like, a, a, it's a little bit like a drug because you have to build up a tolerance to it. Um, you start when you're very young and your parents will let you handle like smaller pieces of Jade, like little pebbles. And as you get older and older, right, if you grow up in these crime families, you get the ability to like, you start earning Jade from fights and from, you know, various honors. Uh, and that makes you more powerful. But like, the problem is when you get too much jade, or if you haven't been trained enough uh, in the use of jade, you, uh, you it goes it, it's too powerful for you, and you uh, essentially you know become addicted to it, and you you slowly you know start to dissociate and and have psychotic episodes, and and it, it eventually kills you. Um, so what's interesting about Wen is that she is of this genetic line where. Um, she doesn't have any, she's what they call a stone eye because she's not affected by Jade at all, which makes her super important when she's doing spy shit because it's just like, oh, I can smuggle Jade in because like they can't detect it on me because I don't give off a Jade aura. Um, it's really cool. Uh, and when fucking slaps, cause like, she's the, she's like one of the, the weakest people in this world because she just like, doesn't have magic powers. And she's like, I don't really give a shit. Uh, my boyfriend who is an idiot, uh, is also the most powerful uh, man in John Loon now after uh, his brother got shot. So I've got to fucking do work. And, you know, uh, I'm not afraid, despite everyone having magic powers and the ability to, like, cut cars in half and shit. Like, I'm here. Uh, when rules. Yeah, I think I think the line was um, your brother, because when she was talking to Shay, um, which is the one of the three uh, call yeah, siblings. the calls, yeah. Um, so there's Hilo, there's Shay, and there's Lon. Um, I love Shay, too. She's a close, close third. But when and Lon really took it for me. Um, when she's talking to, to Shay, she says something along the lines of, like, your brother loves me so much he wants to protect me, and I love him so much that I need to disobey him. Or it's like something like that. But I'm like, yeah, you rule. This, this is awesome. It's going to cause a horrible rift in this family later. But you're thinking rules, and I love that for you. Um, yeah. Who are your favorites? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I'm very much like an elder sibling and a rule follower, so Lon was my favorite. Um, and then he got capped, um, and then also had a heart attack, so oops. Press um, F to pay respects for yeah. Lon. Um, I think I like Andon, though. Andon is very very much appealing to me because he's like oh very good in school but also shy and like that fucking torture genius bullshit that i as a 13 year old identified with um so like i, I liked Andon. his his story is very interesting because his his um his parents i believe i don't remember if if both of them but at least his mom died because of uh, a jade addiction like she she was exposed to it too much and like this this book has um you know, I don't know, it, the way that it plays with genes, like, only the people from um, KCON, uh, Fantasy Asia, can, can like, use Jade properly without the aid of uh, a drug that the Westerners developed. Um, so, like, it becomes a big issue 
for Andon because like his family his family is considered uh thin blooded uh which means that like they're you know they can't handle their jade and like that's supposed to be bad luck but he's like basically uh been adopted into the the call family and i think he's actually their cousin like by blood too but like his whole story arc is being afraid because he he is actually super good at jade manipulation um but like he's afraid that that'll the the tolerance will you know be too much for him and he'll he'll go crazy uh that's not a that's not a great way to say that he'll experience psychosis um and and have suffered the same fate as his mom um and like i i think that's very interesting um also he's just like a little cinnamon roll uh who absolutely just should not he should she should get another family despite the fact that they all love him very much uh hilo who we'll talk about in a sec comes to his school and he's like hey little cousin and immediately starts to beat the shit out of him because like you know he wants to make his cousin to be a warrior um and and, and, then, and it's just like well i can't he's the the fist of of no peak so uh, i'm gonna get my ass kicked here i just gotta i just gotta take it um, and he just, like, everybody in the, in the school just watches the Hilo wail on him, and it's just like, ah, 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 poor, poor kid, um, he's, he's great. Really? He's amazing, I love Andon, um, the fact that Hilo calls him Andy through me a couple of times, it's just, it's like a weird, you know, when you're talking with all these, like, Asian names, all of a sudden someone gets called Andy, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that, um, no, I love Andon. I think he's great. Uh, yeah, but there, there's we are introduced to the concept of like jade hunger pretty early on with um, Barrow, a jade thief, which is how we start this story. Um, he shows up and tries to steal jade from one of No Peak's fists, I think, or maybe the horn at the time. Uh, uh, I think it was a, I think it was a fist or a finger. It wasn't, it wasn't like anybody yeah. super high up. It was just like some guy. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah. He was he was some drunk, and I think Lon happened to be there too at the time. But um, yeah, so we're introduced to Barrow, and like he comes back, and I don't like him very much. Um, but it, you know, you're introduced to this this like quote unquote jade hunger of like if you if you have too much jade all at once, you form this addiction, and it's not something you can fix except by abstaining from jade. And Andon gets put in a position where he has quite a bit of a scare. In order to save No Peak, he has to handle a lot of Jade after only having handled, like, a little bit. Um, and uh, let's talk about Hilo, because Hilo reacts in a way. <laughs> yeah, Hilo is, um, I mean, he's, like, kind of the heart of the story because, like, he's the one who does the most stuff. But um, he is the the second sibling of the Call family. Um, in the in the beginning, he is the the horn uh, of of No Peak, which is to be like the the military leader, basically. Um, uh, he's young. He's like he's like twenty eight, I want to say. Um, and like his his whole thing is like going around to like the he's like a nightmare, basically. Like he goes around to like all the clubs and the bars and like make sure people aren't causing trouble. And if they do, he just like beats the fuck out of them. Um, and he likes it that way. Um, and his like two right hand men are Wen's uh, brothers, which is which is kind of nice. I, I really love the the family dynamic there. Um, but yeah, Hilo is a hothead. His whole thing is fighting and you know taking action, and he's very much like um, in he's he's very much like the 
you know, the hothead, the hothead archetype where it's like, I want to go and fight the mountain before they, you know, do worse to us. And he keeps like telling Lon that in the first third of the book. And Lon's like, no, we have to play it cool. Like we can, we can handle this. Like, don't, don't make trouble for me. And then Lon dies. And then Hilo's like, well, shit, now I don't have the, the smart person to, to give me counsel. I mean, there's when, but like, you know, it, he, like Lon being the, that's that's what's so funny about Hilo's death, or not Hilo, but Lon's death, is that um, like when Lon dies, both the No Peak and the Mountain are like, oh fuck, god damn it, uh, now Hilo's in charge, shit. Which um, it's revealed that uh, the leader of the Mountain, um, uh, uh, Mada, who I uh, love her, uh, but she admits openly to Shay, she's like, I wasn't trying to kill that brother. <laughs> I was trying to kill the other brother. She's like, "Homie, I'm smart. Do you think I wanted <laughs> do you think I wanted Lon dead? He's he's normal. <laughs> Hilo will do some shit." <laughs> um and yeah, I just god, all the characters and their motivations are so well deployed in this book. And like that's why like even though there there are some spots of just like, you know, politicking exposition, like I think it works really well. Um, and like, gosh, we should talk about the mountain real quick. There's only, they're basically the, the enemy gangsters. Wait, hold on. We haven't talked about Shay. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We miss um, Shay. Shay is the younger sister. I think she's 26. She's been studying in, uh, uh, Espenia. Yes. I want to say. Yes. I keep getting, I keep getting, um, Jade Jade City's Englishman mixed up with um, Poppy Wars Englishman. Well, it's uh, Espenia and Hesperia. I could yeah, see why. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, Espenia, um, which is basically, yeah, fancy Oxford is where she got her business degree from. Um, but like she moved back because like, um, you know, for a number of reasons. Uh, but the main thing was that like her, her fiance uh, was... Wait, no. Which he just he dumped her. Oh, he dumped her. Okay, because Lon got cheated on by his ex, his wife. But yes, Shay's fiance dumped her. Uh, and and like there was one point where he was like, "I can kill him for you," and she's like, "Dude, come on." No, what she says is, "I can kill my own ex boyfriends." <laughs> yeah, an excellent line. Yeah, which it's just very funny. Um. But yeah, Shay, Shay comes back and she's like, you know, she was a little bit uh, out, like not outlawed, but uh, uh, ostracized from the family because they're like, don't go over to Espenia. And like, that's that's kind of her whole arc is like being brought back in to the family after being disgraced. So um, uh, like that's her whole her whole thing is like trying to not only balance like the fact that she wants to be independent and still not rely on the family, despite the fact that she's basically royalty in John Loon, um, but also like dealing with the fact that they are her family despite all the weird you know misogynist you know bullshit that goes along with this this type of lifestyle like you know she does care about Hilo and Lon and when Lon dies like it sort of snaps something in her and she goes and gets her like fucking uh jade choker and her cool sword that's been sitting in a bank vault and she's like all right I'm ready to murder people now um <laughs> which is very cool um Shay gets in a really cool fight in book two that um, is uh, incredible. Uh, you'll definitely, definitely look out for that. Um, 
yeah, Shay Shay is is probably my second favorite. Um, I just I just think Hilo's too stupid. Yeah, Hilo's really dumb. Yeah, I know. I feel for Shay as like also the daughter who left. I feel for that of like having to come back and like find your place all over again. And I mean, she's great because for a while, she her stubborn ass was just like, no, nah, I know my family's rich, but I'm gonna hang out here in my own goddamn apartment. It's gonna be just <laughs> fine. And no, I don't care that my hot neighbor was actually my brother's spy. Fuck <laughs> that, I guess. But I mean, like her hand would have been forced either way because even before Lon died, uh, the landlord found out who she was, and like all of a sudden, the way she was treated changed. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it would have been inevitable. Just you know the the uh, uh, speed at which her, her return was happening. Um, and before we move on to the mountain, uh, fuck Doru. We're going to talk about him maybe, maybe as part of the mountain, but fuck that guy. Uh, yeah, all you have to know is he is the weatherman, which is like the, basically like the tactical advisor, like the, what's Jafar's, the viz- he's like the vizier, kind of. Yeah, like yeah. The weatherman reads, reads like the political situation, essentially. Um, whereas the, the fist reads the military situation yeah oh the horn yes sorry um and um yeah we'll talk about doru um but yeah the the opposite clan is the mountain clan uh basically after world war ii they split into two uh clans the the no peak and the mountain the mountain are the bad guys they're they're much larger than um no peak but they are like like all good bad guys very large but not uh, very expendable also um, a lot of mountain dudes get trashed in this book uh and um the main two people you need to know are Aitmata, who is the pillar of the mountain uh she's like a i want to say like 40 50 year old like woman who like took over she became the pillar because like once the old pillar died she went and like murdered all her siblings um in order to become the pillar which is very cool uh i god the villains in this in this book especially i don't love the villains in book two uh but in this one i i mata and got ash fucking own uh like the whole thing that I Mata does is like she kidnaps Andon and she like just has like as a threat, like she brings Andon to the mountain's house and then she's just like, Hey, would you want some tea? And she's like, Hey, uh, by the way, you know, here here's this uh shady political she's off I think she offered Andon a spot in the mountain, right? That was the the thing. And then and he was like and and like it was very clearly like she didn't expect him to to agree to it, but it was like an insult to be like, Hey, we can come and get you whenever um she is so menacing and evil and calculating and uh, i love her (laughs) yeah i mean my note for her says i like i don't like her but i am gay for her a little she's intimidating i i listen scary lady in a suit jacket is very much my type oh yeah i love that energy um and gaunt ash um if this book was written from the perspective of the mountain, he would probably be my favorite. He also has, like, big, scary dad energy, but, like, soft and mm-hmm. hard for the people he actually cares about. And I'm like, mm, if you weren't trying to kill my current babies, <laughs> you would probably be my favorite. Got Ash, while, I mean, he does get some very good moments of characterization, he does have my favorite scene in media. I know Kipo is currently my favorite media property, but his attack on the twice lucky which is basically like uh it's like a very fancy restaurant um is my favorite scene in media because 
so we established at the beginning the twice lucky is like this no peak property that like you know they they pay money to no peak they like no peak takes a cut and they like protect them from you know robbers like what happens at the beginning of the book and um you know that they have a they have a system of tides basically like most businesses in John Loon are ally- aligned either to one of the two uh, clans and that's how they make their money and in return you know they they do favors for them um, and so we get introduced to the twice lucky and like the owner who is like a, a loyal no peak guy um, and then once this like battle starts kicking off like the no- like we get this perspective from the the guy who owns uh, the twice lucky who's just like hmm well this sucks uh, there's like two two no peak like soldiers outside just keeping guard and then like he's like oh things are going good I guess and then like he hears them get like fucking murdered and then got ash walks through and he's like I've heard you guys have great crispy squid balls I would like to try some and he's like oh okay yeah um please don't hurt my employees he's like oh sure 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 uh as long as you know you'll start paying us the the tithe it looks like you can give us a little bit more money than you were giving no peak and he's like oh but i'm a no peak loyalist like you really can't like please don't don't make me go against them he's like oh well i can just start murdering all of your employees it's fine like it'd be super easy because i'm like a big buff dude and i have this cool sword uh he's like okay fine i'll switch over and he's like Awesome. Also, these crispy squid balls fucking slap. Um, it's my favorite scene in media. <laughs> it is a masterclass on tension, horror, um, but also like character building. Uh, I, I, t- I tweeted at Fonda Lee the when I when I re listened to the audiobook and I was like, hey, this is the best scene ever. <laughs> and she's like, oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the crispy squid balls are very funny because they make a return when um, Hilo faces down uh, Got Ash. <laughs> And he's just like, you know, this is my favorite restaurant. He's like, yeah, the fucking crispy squid balls. Mwah, chef kiss. <laughs> like, it's just, just, I think, I think the pettiness in this book is supreme. There's a lot of pettiness that happens and all of it is just a class mastery. I am, I will say, so I really like the perspective switching in this book. I, perspective switching really goes 50-50 for me. I, sometimes it's too much. Sometimes I'm just... Why do we need to be in this character's head? Thinking about you. What's that? What's the Thor one in Six of Crows? I already forgot oh, his name. Oh, the uh, Matthias, I want to say? Yeah. Why do I need to be in Matthias' head? He's just a bad racist. He's just Whatever. a racist douche. <laughs> hate him. Um, and Nash, but Matthias, I didn't need mm. to be in his head. But the, the perspective switching in this one was cool because, like, first of all, all the chapters are super short. They're, like, eight pages. And the perspectives switch within chapters, and they're not, like, for, like, you don't, they're not, like, formally switched. Like, you don't get, like, a chapter heading saying, we're in Andon's head now. But you just kind of start with that perspective character, and it's, like, clearly from, like, within their head and, and what they're centralized and what they're feeling, though not exclusive to that situation. And there's a lot of really good world building that happens in there and you like get all it. The book is a slow start because there's just so much exposition and like so much, like you're basically learning to speak a new language with, with all the like structure and titling. It takes a while, but like it's, it's worth it. Um, but it does. Cause I remember part of the reason we're recording this now or reading this book now is, is uh, this is getting adapted to a series which I am uh, just about. I want to see the cool sword fights 
so bad. But there's a lot of inner monologue happening. I'm very curious as to how that's going to get adapted. Yeah, that that is my only worry for the Peacock series, which is that, like, you're... <sighs> Don't fuck it up, Peacock, please. This is a good, it's a good series, and you can't... Don't... Don't do them dirty. <laughs> I know. It's, it's all I'm asking. I um, gotta, uh, uh, I'm not gonna make you read it because it's depressing, but um, The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak is like one of my favorite books of all time. I've read that, um, yeah. Yeah, it's sad. So, mm-hmm. but it's it's based, it's from the person, it's written from the perspective of death following this little girl around in Nazi Germany. Um, really sad book, really, really good book. Um, but the movie did it dirty because you death was no longer a character. And you're like, but that was the point. That was the whole, like, God, that's so boring. Why would you be like, <laughs> oh, we could have the Grim Reaper here. And then, then you could be like, nah, like, come on. Like, it was just another Nazi movie. And I'm like, well, I've seen a billion of these. You know what I haven't seen? A Nazi movie from the perspective of death who became intrigued by a girl who, like, watched her brother die on a train. Like, she was marked by death and surrounded by death. And you had this, like, compassionate third point of view and the like visual adap- I mean, the visual adaptation could have kept it, but they took it out entirely. So it just like was boring. Um, so you know, Peacock, uh, be cool. Do a good job. Be cool. Be cool. Um, so like fondly with her whole world building process, she, she occasionally she'll she'll talk. Actually, she mentored R.F. Kuang. So this is she. This is a tip that she told R.F. Kuang um, so that I heard from an R.F. Kuang interview, which is that. Um, one of her tricks is just to be like, okay, if you want to do world building, you should not have them go back to the same location every time. Like, you should you should have an excuse to, like, if you're going to a new chapter, like, make that chapter in a new location. Um, so that way you can have an excuse to be like, okay, anyway, this is the this whole location's deal and how it fits in the world. And that's, like, a good way to naturally introduce, like, opportunities for exposition instead of just being like and now we're back on the spaceship and i have to go look in the data bank about this planet or whatever um and like she you can see how she deploys that in, in a couple different ways like when shay has to go to the uh kcon jade alliance like mining headquarters and like it explains about how like the my the jade that is mined is divvied up uh to the government and then like she like does accounting and figures out that the somebody in the mountain is cooking the books. Um, and that's like a cool way to do world building or like in the temple where she meets Ait Mata and like, they have this whole explanation about the um, spirituality um, in, in John Loon. And like, it's, it's a really smart writing tip that, that, um, that, that I, you know, I, I, that's why I follow people on Twitter is to get writing tips. And that's a really, really good one. Yeah, I definitely love that scene where she goes to the mining headquarters because the guy, the foreman is so fucking over it. And Shay just like disregards him completely. She's like, okay, yeah, I need all, I need X, Y, and Z. I brought a packed lunch. Just like, you know, leave me to my business. Take me down. Let me see the mines. And he's taking her down the mines. And there's a sign that's like, if you're jade sensitive, don't go further than this point. And she almost does. And he's like, hey, you shouldn't. She's like, I, I got it. And she goes and she just stands there and has like 10 intrusive thoughts all at once. One of which is like, if I put my hand on the shiny big jade rock, what if I implode? <laughs> my whole skull will open up. That would be would interesting. It, but would it be worth the euphoria, that brief euphoria right before I died? Would it be worth it? And then she stops and thinks about it and goes, I got a job to do and goes uh, back and does 
I got homework. <laughs> Damn. She's so good. I love her very much. Um, she yeah. She's great. You mentioned, um, I did want to talk a little bit about the spirituality in this, in this uh, world because I think it's approached cool. Um, usually when you get fantasy spirituality or like fantasy religion, first of all, just like with any fantasy world building, you have like a direct analog, right? I've mentioned Dragon Age before, um, where you have like oh, a dis- distinct analog to Catholicism, you know, it's like, all right, Andraste's people are Catholics. I get it. Um, and you know, the Cune is like a sloppy racist allegory for Islam. It's fine. It's not fine. Um, but th- there's not like an allegory for, for the spirituality in John Lunar. It doesn't really even get introduced like concretely or right away. It's just like vaguely called deism, you know, just like worshiping a deity. And the only real construct you get of it is the penitents who just kind of like, like a, you know, they're kind of a formality. Like they themselves believe in their religion, but their presence in the world is very like, don't say a cuss word in front of the the monks yeah then exactly your whole shit will go to hell but i th- i think the most interesting part about it is usually like um sometimes fantasy religions feel a little bit monolithic you know so like <clears throat> again a dragon age is just like the example i'm most familiar with because i spent the longest dissecting it um but like uh you know you can say like oh this per se person is an andrastian and you can like kind of reliably know they believe in like x y and z and there's never really like a variance in how much they believe or how devout they are they're either they're on kind of a binary devoutness to atheistic spectrum same thing with the cune which has a little bit more variance but like not really um you hear a little bit about the black divine which is like cool goth catholicism um but also known as catholicism also (laughs) but it's like not really mentioned outside of like to Vinter's bad they're slaves there kind of thing um but i think the thing fonda lee does that's really really interesting is in shay and hilo you get this like very nuanced take on spirituality outside of organized religion right so there's not like a commentary on the religion itself but there is a commentary on what it does for those two individuals so like for hilo he doesn't give a fuck he's an atheist he's He's like, I don't believe in this shit. I'm just kind of polite about it because I have to be as, like, a high-ranking member of this crime family. For Shay, there's, like, a an element of spirituality that isn't organized, which I found very interesting. Like, she goes to the temple and asks for a sign. She t- uses the temple as... Um, as a neutral meeting ground when, when, um, when she gets summoned by the mountain for a meeting. Uh, and she, she refers to the gods as being angry and vengeful. She's a little bit more superstitious than her brother. And I find that very, very interesting because you don't often get that nuance with like spirituality outside of the organization of religion in individuals in fiction, because it takes ostensibly more work to do that kind of world building. Um, but I just wanted to compliment that because I picked up on it. And as like someone who went through, um, for, well, I thought it was Jewish for a couple of years because I went to a Jewish school because my mom faked my papers and no one told me otherwise. Um, so <laughs> for a couple of years, I thought I was Jewish. Found out our family was supposed to be um, Orthodox Armenian and then, or Armenian Orthodox. And then um, 
but we weren't because the USSR was an atheistic union of countries, so we were forced to stop practicing as a family, and then my stepdad tried to make me uh, Armenian Orthodox again, and then I found out, uh, and then I was like, I went through my like annoying atheist phase, and then a loop back around into like an amorphous spirituality, so I respect that, <laughs> basically. Uh, uh, what comes at the end of that? I really, I really like new takes on religion. I, I listen as much as we love to shit on the Catholics. It is boring to always have them as villains. Yeah, listen, we there are plenty of examples of Catholics being villains in real life. We don't need to uh, always drink from the Inquisition well. Um, but I do think that like your your experience of religion is kind of a good point. Like most people don't have a unified like version of religion like video games or my my other standpoint was like star wars where everyone's like ah the force it moves through us and it's in life and stuff um and everybody just sort of accepts that like most people in in our world like have a nuanced take on religion um uh you know they they they've if they've thought about it because they're deep into a religion they probably have some ideas uh whereas if you are not into it there's probably a reason why, and you've probably given that a lot of thought too, and like a lot of people fall somewhere in between, you know, full-blown atheist and fanatic, like most people are just kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to make a, a judgment call about things that big, but like, like Shay's whole practice is like, you know, I don't know if I 100% believe in all this, but it makes me feel, you know, connected to something. And I think that's important to like, uh, John Loon is a very believable society right they've got you know an underbelly of of criminals that like is, is well organized but also they've got like you know politicians that are out of touch with the people and and are self-interested and um i mean it, i would it's call lot, it I, I would call it an overbelly of criminal activity okay yeah i mean but that's that's the thing though like the reason that uh finally made them you know not like the gang they're gangsters but they're not criminals um like the like the cops don't fuck with the don't fuck with the jade warriors one because they're like fucking psychic ninjas essentially and two because it's like patterned off off of the yakuza and um you know mafia who who you know ma i guess the mafia are were technically illegal but like yakuza weren't illegal for a while in japan allegedly um uh not allegedly according to this interview i listened to and like, she wanted to explore the idea of, like, yeah, I mean, like, they're they're essentially, like, you know, a, a part of the government, and, like, they have to, like, the the prime minister of um, KCON has to take meetings with Hilo and be like, hey, sorry about your brother, um, now you're in charge of the, the, one of the biggest factions in this country, and you're, what, 28, and your main hobbies are uh, punching and fucking, and you're all out of fucking? Cool. Hmm. Love that. Well, he is famously not out of fucking, because one night Shay couldn't sleep, but she's like, if I have to feel him fucking through the wall. <laughs> That's true, because you can feel people's jade auras, and when Shay finally moves in, she, and when also moves in, she's like, oh my god, he's so horny, this is the worst, I should have stayed in Espanol. <laughs> That's that would suck if you could if you could feel your sibling boning down. Uh, the worst. Yeah, psychically, you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, truly a nightmare. Uh, yeah, it it rules. Um, in general, though, like if if you are somebody who is interested in like writing, uh, 
stuff you should you should follow Fonda Lee like I think she does dispense some pretty good writing advice like um one of the things that that I've followed is like she she's like hey if you're a new writer probably don't start with a trilogy they're hard and um maybe maybe just practice on some one-offs for a bit before you you try to you know break out a doorstopper um or like she explained that her whole process of creating a new book is like it's gonna take two months consume all the media about this topic that i think i can and call it research you know just like watching uh videos and um like like you know reading manga and uh doing doing stuff like that and i think that's really <laughs> it's a really fun and i'm gonna implement that once i finish the act one of my book i'm just gonna be like okay now i'm just gonna take the next month and read all about dinosaurs and it's gonna be great um uh so i think she i think she's really really smart um and i i am just so surprised that more people aren't on the jade city train because like it's it's a fascinating series with a bunch of really cool characters and i don't know like you said you had some some preconceptions about this this series and i was wondering if you could break those down and maybe we could figure out why people aren't aren't crazy about jade city I mean, listen, I'm a professional with communication skills. Um, my preconceptions weren't about the story. My preconceptions, I think, stem from that thing of, like, anyone writing in the fantasy space is writing YA fantasy. Now, mind you, I'm just coming off of um, to a duology I read over, like, right before my production break started, right before we went off air for a little while. Um, where it, um, uh, uh, what is it called? It's, it's Dance of Thieves and, and Vow of Thieves are the two books. And, and they're, they're a great time if you like just like fun, harmless YA melodrama, um, which I needed at the moment and I got. But, you know, it, it was, it's a duology where you get a conflict and it's like, oh no, uh, one of my many siblings has been kidnapped. And then there's like an immediate solution and there's never like a setback to the solution, you know? So, it's, uh, um, I guess, coming out of that brain space, I walked in and um, was greeted with, like, actual sex scenes and a little bit of body horror every once in a while. And I was sitting there reading about Andon walking in on his mom in a bathtub with a cheese grater, and I was like, ah, oh, was not expecting that. And then, you know... Hilo pops into Wen's bedroom when we first meet her and like immediately they're fucking and like it doesn't fade to black. I'm like, oh my god. I felt like prudish almost just by <laughs> just because I didn't expect it, you know, like I didn't know where it was going. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh, oh lordy, oh, oh god, oh god, what's happening? And it just it really it was just a funny it was a funny thing to notice about, like, having been in a very, like, YA brain space and then being met with, like, adult fiction. And where I'm like, oh, I forgot that, like, R.F. Kuang and Fonda Lee and, like, S.A. Chakraborty, like, write for adults. And we've moved on, at least partially, from this thing of, like, fantasy only being for teens and J.R.R. Tolkien. So, those were my misconceptions. It wasn't so much, like someone told me the story with like i knew it was a good book like you and, Mar and my friend marty both both really like it but um was not expecting uh to be treated to not one but two bonings 
yes multiple multiple uh bone downs um uh yeah no it's right that's an interesting interesting point like there is authors of adult uh fantasy always complain about like being called ya and they're like please don't give this to your 13 year old it will make them it'll it'll be a lot for them um not to say that 13 year olds can't handle sex scenes obviously but just like you know you should you should be you should know what you're getting into and jade city is a very is a very adult themed book and like uh, i don't know right like that that's the whole adult ya divide is like what you know not necessarily that one is better than the other but like when you when you are writing with ya like you're kind of writing to a wider audience right not only because ya is typically regarded as um you know the thing that you know mm, sells blockbusters you, with your divergence and your hunger games etc but like you know i think you can explore more more interesting ideas not necessarily just um you know ideas about uh getting laid but like you know you probably wouldn't have in a scene about accounting in in the hunger games um right there there is like you know some romantic drama but it, it it's not it's not very tense right it, and um you know, I think that that's an important thing to to know is that like it's an adult it's adult series, and um, you know sometimes adult series get it get it right. Like it doesn't stray into the tropes of like grim dark fantasy. And when I mean grim dark, I mean um, fucking Game of Thrones and like you know sexual assault and being like and then the intestines got pulled out by the big sword and he wrapped them around his sword and then he used the intestines to choke another guy out. Like, I mean, there is, there is a lot of violence and, and bloodshed, but I don't think it is in a gratuitous way. Um, and I, I think that this is like a very good example of why, you know, fantasy should, should be considered as an evolving genre and isn't, is just like your Game of Thrones. Like, uh, I'm very frustrated that this, this series hasn't taken off because it's incredible. And I, I fear it's just because like the protagonists are Asian, right? There's, there's very few white people in this book um and like i don't know i i feel like well with the what is that series i think it's on netflix um is it the untamed that's about chinese vampires vampires um, i don't know if they're vampires but yeah uh i don't know but like i feel like that sort of thing like is paving the way for like you know more people to widely except um you know east asian faces in in media and uh i would really like to see that because the more east asian people we get in media the more southeast asian people ideally we get in media um you know we want to get we want to darken our media a little bit and um and you know move it a little bit away from just having uh pretty white people in it and um you know i really i really want to that's why peacock you can't you cannot screw this up i you know i know you'll have the office and that's a great but like Please, please don't do one of this. Would be a terribly important series for Asian folks if it goes well. I'm begging you, Mister yeah, Mister MSNBC. Peacock doing its uh, uh, service pricing based on how much of The Office you can watch is the funniest thing I have seen in years. It is. Wait, hold on. Is that a joke? No, it's for real. What? Their pricing structure is based on how much access to the office you can have. What? 
Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So the free version, you only get seasons one and two, and you have to watch ads on all the other programming. And then there's two more tiers, and one of them is like you get the rest of it with ads, and the rest of it with no ads. I'm pretty sure. I can't believe. It. Yeah, no, I'm dead ass. They paywall the Office. That they, rules. They took <laughs> Office, the Office from Netflix, thus ridding every man on Tinder of a personality, ah, and rip. then based their entire price which you know what it's just some kind of king shit i think like yeah it is a sad statement to the state of our media that we haven't come up with an an original enough sitcom idea that it's taken off the way the office has thusly giving nobody anything to watch since 2008 when it went off the air but if i were sitting in the boardroom at peacock going okay quibi just debunked uh netflix and hulu and crunchyroll actually are doing really really well um, we gotta, we gotta figure out what to do. And, you know, some interns like, what about the office? And then the logical end conclusion is we take the office back from Netflix and then build our entire fucking pricing structure around it. You gotta do what you gotta do. That's king shit. I, I'm into it. No, I, I love that. <laughs> it's very I much lo- like, oh, you, you you little sickos love The Office so much. How much you pay increasing amounts of money to see Dwight do his cool jokes about beats? And then you know what? If enough people don't pay for it, that's still good because it'll force someone else to come up with a new Office sitcom. Uh, like I'm, yeah. I'm begging you people, please. Just like, I, I haven't had anything to passively watch since Parks and Rec. You gotta help me out a little bit. I think uh, the other thing in terms of like the adult fiction point you had just made is this also translates into animation which new listeners i work in animation uh i work on a quote-unquote adult tv show like like geared towards adults and there is this like propensity to in quote-unquote adult cartoons not only the one i work on but the one i work on isn't even really that guilty of this um but, uh, 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 oh my god, there's a, a new one with Quinta B. It's like a, a magical girl series um, on one of the streaming networks. But uh, there's just this, like, desire for it to be all, like, cussing and dick jokes, which, listen, I love a dick joke. Sometimes they're very funny. But it doesn't need to be all the time. It doesn't need to be all cuss words. Like, I also want a story about friendship. Like, Mad Max was a story about friendship. I love that movie. Uh, uh, Fury Road. You know, you could do that in, like, a an adult-geared animated show. Which is why, Peacock, I think you should have made Jade City animated. Like, listen. You could, as long as you cast correctly and you have, you know, Asian folks where Asian folks should be. I have hope in you making this a dope live-action series. But think of all the cool shit you could do on a smaller budget if you made it animated and still hired Asian people to voice all the characters and design all the characters and design the cities. Could be cool, but no one wants to do that because Game of Thrones ruined it for everyone. I mean, that's such a good point, though. Like, it, you save so much money by doing it animated, right? You don't have to do pay through the nose for CGI. You can just have, you know, people draw it. Like, I don't Okay, understand. not that much money, though. Pay I mean, artists. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, please, please don't save that much money, but, like, um, 
right? Like with Avatar The Last Airbender, right? If you wanted to make a movie of Avatar, it was already animated. You could have just... You could have just made another animated... You could have done the fucking Evangelion thing where you make a movie out of the thing that's already a thing and then people, for some reason, love it. You could have done that with Avatar. Like, I don't understand why folks... Uh, there's this weird mentality that animated shit doesn't sell. Like, you've seen Pixar, y'all. Like, uh... I know. It's that weird, like, monopoly on animation, too, where, uh, uh, you know, Disney and Pixar have essentially a monopoly with DreamWorks, you know, in there, but it's not the Disney Pixar trust, you know? And there's uh, this desire, there's this weird evasion to anything coming out of East or Southeast Asia, or even Central Asia. Uh, Russia used to have a really thriving animation community. Uh, Japan, Korea, and China certainly do. But, you know, when was the last time you watched um, a Chinese... Film. There's a film. There's a Chinese film animated feature called Neja that's on Netflix. It was charming as hell. Not my favorite thing, but charming as hell. I really enjoyed watching it. I had a great time. Um, there's a couple other ones. Um, obviously, like the entire anime industry gets ignored in the mainstream. Like, why Promare didn't get an Oscar? Don't know. Why it wasn't eligible? Should have. I love that movie. If you haven't noticed. I mean, um, I don't know. The Oscars are gonna put like fucking. Um you know, Parasite in foreign films because it's, <laughs> you know, it had, you have to use captions or whatever. No, I'm, I thinking, know. I'm thinking it was something else, but like, you know, they, Parasite no, won all sure. those. I'm pretty sure it was Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah. No, it's, but it's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is, is uh, there's such a competition for America to be the exporter of media and culture because we're so afraid of like, you know, the Chinese communists and it's like, okay, but we can't ignore an entire thriving media industry. Like, that's not something we should be doing. It's silencing a lot of voices. And yes, mainland Chinese entertainment is different than Chinese American or Chinese Canadian perceptions of Asian identity or the way they see the world. But like, so we should be... We And even, you know, movies like Aunt France is a thriving animation industry. When was the last time you saw a French movie? You know what I mean? Like a French animated film. There's plenty. When was the last time? So it's just, aside from Code Lyoko, but... Um, <laughs> That's a masterwork. It's, 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 a <laughs> it's a French masterwork. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a bummer that, that uh, America is so like bathed in its own weird gritty there's it's, it's a whole i read an article it's a whole phenomenon like after 9 11 we just went, like, went crazy and everything's like gritty and realistic and we like lost a sense of whimsy and everything is live action and the only animated stuff is for kids and i'm like Ugh. shrek did so well though I shrek they had four kids. or five shrek movies like y'all come on I know, I'm like, oh, come on, we can do better, though. And I think I think Jade City falls into that. Like, I think there's room to adapt it. But I would love to see, like, a cool, like, animated version of it, too. I think it would have been dope. But I have faith yeah. for the live action. I am curious as to how they're going to handle all that inner monologuing, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, if... If we continue, if our Republic continues uh, to the point where we can watch that, we'll probably cover it. Um, gosh, you know, when we're when we're famous, we'll definitely make sure that all our stuff is is animated, unless unless we don't want it to be animated. Um, and it'll be yeah. Great. And you can you can make us famous by reviewing our podcast on iTunes. <laughs> 
Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes. Please. We have like two. One of them is me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, That's probably, that's all I got. Yeah, uh, this is a really dope book. Thank you for for letting me read it. I definitely, it's one of those books that like, there were points during reading it where I was just like, yeah, I can see why he likes this. (laughs) Oh, great. Good. (laughs) (laughs) This is very like nitty gritty dweeb shit. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, there's some dork shit in there. It's it's fine. I I am who I am. Um, hey, we I got a new be... review, actually. Oh, sick! Really? Yeah, we did. From who? Who's These, the user? The uh uh, I don't know. Okay. But what what is what did they say? It says these two slay. Thanks. <laughs> you know what? We do slay. <laughs> Thank you, anonymous user. Uh, you you kick ass. Um, if you want to continue hear us slay some more, what are we doing next week? That's a really great question, Aaron. Because <laughs> we did knock our schedule a little bit out of sorts. Um, uh, yeah. Man, our first non-Trump administration podcast. You're going to be able oh, to feel wow. the energy in that yeah. one. Yeah, this is the last episode of the Trump administration. That's crazy. Knock on wood. <laughs> goodness gracious um yeah so next week uh dear listeners we are treating ourselves to the greatest motion picture of all time the greatest showman oh no oh yes <laughs> oh yeah i forgot we were doing that one again <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. we're doing the greatest showman and then you can join us um, in February, as we talk about the Age of Calamity, uh, we'll read the the McElroy's great podcasting book. Maybe we'll be better at making a show. Um, Aaron's going to play uh, Grease, which is a, a platformer that is very, very pretty. And then we're going to do a little bit of Little Witch Academia to round it all out. Perfect. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's a good roundup, even with The Greatest Showman. <laughs> even with The Greatest Showman, which... Oh, I'm excited. It's, uh, you know, this is the greatest show. This is the greatest show. Mortified the Friendship Quest right here. <laughs> uh, Layla, where can people find you on the internet? I am still, as always, at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, I still write essays. I will come back to my comic, but um, we're just kind of taking it one day at a time right now. You know, knocking on wood. Just doing things. Aaron, where, people, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL. You can also find the other podcast I do at MBMBF and me. Uh, our episode about um, Prince Caspian just went up, the uh, sequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was not very good, but you did get to hear the Capitol Police in the background as Michael uh, talked about how um, he's had also a rough week that week we recorded it. So um, uh, please check us out there. Our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the film, uh, no, God, from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Oh, Layla, do you want to close it out like we do in John Loon? Well, as we say, the, the clan, clan is my blood, blood and the pillar is its master. <laughs> oh my God, okay. <laughs>